I love that song, the last one we sang, because um, despite the, the these and the thous and the tisses um, and the, the kind of the dated language, it, it is a beautiful message of the gospel, right? That God sent his son Jesus to die for us. That Jesus rose again from the grave. And because we've experienced such a great love of God in the gospel, we love him. A, a beautiful proclamation of the gospel. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2 this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 2. We are continuing our series called The Gathering. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, and have been looking at what it is that we do when we gather on Sunday morning. What is it that we do when we, when we come together uh, and worship on Sunday morning? So we started the first week, we talked about fellowship. That our, our gathering should be marked by a fellowship with one another. We should have real relationships and, and openness and vulnerability and, and be able to meet needs and speak life into one another. So we have fellowship with one another. We talked last week about the music, how we should uh, pour out praise to the Lord in emotion and truth. This week, uh, we're going to be talking about prayer. We have time of prayer when we gather. First Timothy chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning, beginning in verse 1. First Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says this, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Let me pray for us. Holy Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it does challenge us and shape us. I thank you that we don't do things just because that's how we've always done them. We don't do things just because they seem like the right thing to do. But God, that you have showed us in your word what it is that you want from us. That you have outlined in your word the lives that we're supposed to live, the, how it is that we glorify you, how it is that we honor you. You have showed us in your words how we're supposed to act when we gather Father, I pray that you would shape us and mold us this morning from your word. God, that you would give us a passion for you, that you would renew to our minds the beauty of the gospel, the reason that we love you, the reason that we sing. Father, that you would bring it back to mind and renew it fresh this morning. And God, give us ears to hear what it is that you're telling us in your word this morning and give us a heart that is ready to apply it. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Now, if we talked last week about uh, the most fought-over aspect of the gathering, the music, right? This morning, we're talking about uh, probably the most forgotten or uh, neglected aspect of the worship service, the our Sunday morning gatherings, the prayer. Uh, this is one that we often don't think about. It's one that we often don't, don't talk about. Freedom Fellowship has a time of prayer uh, in, built into our our service time, as you saw this morning, we have a time that we set aside, that we, we devote it to prayer. But that's, uh, that's not the case in a lot of churches. Most churches um, don't have a time at all of prayer. And uh, to be fair, 
Some churches have a much longer time of prayer than we do, in, in all fairness, um, but it's definitely not the norm. Mo- uh, uh, the problem is that many Christians, myself included at, at times, many Christians really love the production value of a Sunday service. Like they really love the, the, the entertainment and performance aspect of the Sunday morning service. And so our Sunday morning service has to be entertaining. It has to go from one thing to the next with zero dead time, zero downtime, right? No, no, no dead air, right? It's got to go from one thing to the next. And on top of that, it has to have some really smooth transitions, right? We want it to, to smoothly transition from one thing to the next. And so there's nothing wrong with that at all, right? Everything in me and I know with Steve and the music and media team as well, everything in us desires to, to have smooth transitions, to have a, a Sunday morning service that is, that is excellent and done well. Like we, we desire those things. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But the problem is that, that that quick pace, that entertaining aspect, the moving from one thing to, to the next and the smooth transitions, all of that usually comes at the expense of a time of prayer. Because let's be honest, uh, most of the time, the prayer aspect, the, the time set aside for prayer, is not the most exciting part of a service. It, it's a time, it's a, a slower time, a quieter time, and it's not, it's not exactly snappy and getting from one place to the next. I was preaching at a church one time, and this church didn't have a, a set time for prayer. And so when I got together with the team, the music team, the, the production team, uh, when we all got together, we were talking about the flow of the service. And the only time that we mentioned prayer was we were talking about it as a transition, right? That the, the music team, the band, they, when they finished their set, they were going to pray, and that, or I was going to pray. I was supposed to come up and pray so they could easily get off the stage, right? So they could transition out of it. And so I was just supposed to get up there, say a prayer so that everyone would close their eyes and not see people get off the stage. It would be like magic when they, when they open their eyes again. And so I was just supposed to pray until everyone got off, and then that was it, right? So I got up there. The band plays their last note. They kind of hold the note a little bit. It's very tense. You know, everyone's ready. And so I get up there, and I start praying, and, uh, and the band starts getting off the stage. Well, the bass player, uh, he got his guitar off, and when he put it down on the stand, the stand kind of buckled a bit. And so he had, to, he had to fix the stand. It took him a lot longer to get off the stage than it should have been. And so I'm watching this like, I got I to gotta keep going. You know, like it's a, I, they're not off the stage yet. And so I had to pray extra long for this bass player to get off the stage. So all the people that, that were in the audience were probably thinking, this guy's holier than our normal pastor because he prays longer, <laughs> right? But it was, uh, I just had to go because I just keep making things up just so this guy could get off the stage. Um, but that's the only time that we talked about prayer was prayer is a transition. Now, again, there's nothing inherently wrong about transitioning during a time of prayer, right? Uh, our band, when they finish their set, they... Uh, Steve prays, and everyone starts transitioning. They unplug their instruments. They, they set them down. like They start the transition process. At the end of the sermon, I'm going to pray, and the band is going to start transitioning up to the stage. Like There's nothing wrong with transitioning during a time of prayer. But the problem is that was the only time that we prayed, was when it was convenient to transition as a service. And, and my, my fear is, my worry is, that with a lot of churches, if we didn't if prayer wasn't such a great transition, then we wouldn't pray at all. If prayer wasn't this great set piece that allowed us to transition from, from music to the sermon really smoothly, then we wouldn't have any prayer at all. And just because we have prayer built into our service doesn't mean that we value prayer any higher than a church that wouldn't pray outside of a transition. Like We are just as uh, guilty of maybe dozing off or zoning out during a prayer time and doing it just because that's what we've always done. 
Right? Just because we have that prayer time doesn't mean we value prayer any higher. The, the reality is many Christians and many churches, myself included, I think us included a lot of times, have way too small a view of prayer. We have nowhere near the view and the value of prayer that the word of God places on it. When we gather, we should pray. This is what I want us to see this morning. Since God moves through our prayers, we need to pray big prayers together. Since God moves through our prayers, since he has decided to act through the prayers of his people, we need to pray big prayers together. This morning, we're going to see three, uh, in this text in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to see three aspects of prayer, three ideas that are going to describe what our prayers should look like when we gather with one another. The first one is this. When we gather to pray, when we pray, our prayers should be bigger than ourselves. When we pray, our prayers should be bigger than ourselves. Let me uh, paint a picture for you guys. If you've been involved in a small group at all, if you've ever gone to church for any length of time, you've probably, haven't, you've probably experienced prayer time, right? Where you, you're, it's usually at the end, and you open up the floor for prayer requests, and then everyone starts listing their prayer requests, and they all, for the most part, fall under one of three categories, right? It's illnesses, it's grieving, or it's things that they're stressed about, usually with jobs or, uh, or family, right? So you open up the floor for prayer requests, and someone says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a lot of the weather, or my aunt's feeling a little under the weather, or I'm getting test results back this week. I would really like prayers for that, so we write it down. And uh, the next person says, well, I'm, uh, you know, my... My neighbor's dad died, and so we want to be with them while they're grieving, so we write that down. And someone else says, yeah, things are just going really hard at, at work right now. It's been very stressful, and so uh, just, you know, pray for me for that. Or I'm looking for a new job, or uh, I, I'm, I'm looking for a job in the first place, and so we write that down. And, and someone says, well, I'm, uh, you know, things at the family are, are a little rough. My kids are acting out of line, or um, marriage is, is struggling, so you just we write that down, and then we pray for those things as a group. Again, Nothing wrong with those prayers. Those prayers are great prayers. Philippians chapter 4 tells us, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplications with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. So it is perfectly good to lift up these prayers of the things that are stressing you out, the things that, that are worrying you, the, the health-related things, the grieving, the stress, like all of those things, it is great to lift those up. When James talks about prayer in, in the book of James, he says, if anyone is sick, have them go to the elders and they'll pray over them. So there's nothing wrong with praying for these things. But when that's the sum of our prayers, when we stop there, the reality is that our prayers are way too small. When all of our prayers have to do with me, they have to do with, with the things that I'm going through or maybe people that are right around me and the things that they're going through. And we, we pray and ask God to, to be with us. We pray and ask God to make things better for us. When that's the sum of our prayers and that is as far as we go, then we show that we have way too small a view of prayer. Look with me in uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Notice what Paul says. First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Uh, we'll find out later in this passage that what he means by praying for all people is praying that all pe for all people that they would be saved, that they would come to know Jesus, that they would have the gospel illuminated to them, that they would behold the glory of God and experience the power of the gospel in their life. Like praying that people would come to know Christ. 
And he says, you know, pray for all peoples. Pray for all types of people. Pray for people all over the place. Like, pray that people will come to know Jesus. The type of prayer that, that Paul tells Timothy to pray when you gather, it's not a small prayer that just has to do with you. What, what Paul outlines here are these big, grand prayers. Pray that people would know Jesus. I pray for revival in Roanoke and in Trophy Club and in Justin and in Northlake and Keller and the surrounding areas. Pray for revival in America. Pray for revival in other countries. These are big, grand prayers that people would come to know Jesus. Because here's the thing, and this is an incredible truth that some of us need to be reminded of. God has decided to move through our prayers. God has decided to act through the things that we pray to him. The God who created everything, who is infinitely bigger than us, who is infinitely more powerful than us, who is infinitely greater than us, that God has decided to act when we pray. And yet, way too often, the only thing that we go to him for are our needs and things that he can do for us. And again, there's nothing wrong with those prayers. But when we gather to pray, our prayers need to be bigger than ourselves. We shouldn't just pray for us. We need to pray on a much grander and a much bigger scale. And what Paul, notice that Paul uses four different words to talk about prayer. He says supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving. Uh, some people will look at that and say, well, these are the four types of prayers you can pray. You can pray this, and you got to move from this thing to this thing to this thing to this thing. Uh, and that's, you know, we can talk about that. But I don't think that's Paul's point here. I think what Paul is trying to, to get at is that you don't have to pray the same type of prayer for all peoples. What he's getting at is that we can be specific in the kind of prayers that we lift up. We don't have to only use these broad statements like, God, send revival to Roanoke. That's a great prayer. But that doesn't have to be the only thing we pray. We don't have to use a broad statement like, God, send revival to America or to this country or to that country. God, save so-and-so, and start naming specific names. We don't have to just use that broad, specific prayer, or that broad prayer. What we can do is we can give specific prayers, different types of prayers for different situations and different kinds of people. What Paul is giving freedom to do here is to, to give specific prayers as we're praying to God. So not just a broad statement, but asking God to do specific things for the purpose of seeing people come to know Jesus. And he gives, he gives an example of a very specific prayer that is a big, sweeping, grand prayer. That is, that is a God-sized prayer, right? Verse 2. There's, I think a, a better translation would be if the word even was here. Pray for all peoples, even for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So, so Paul gives us this example. What's a good example of a big, God-sized prayer of wanting to see people come to know Jesus? Well, how about praying for rulers around the world? People who are in authority over you, people who are in authority over others. Pray for those rulers that God would give them a soft heart, that God would change their minds if they're persecuting Christians, and that Christians can live free from persecution, can live free from oppression, so they can boldly and openly proclaim the gospel. Like There's a broad, like geopolitical-sized prayer. right? I pray for this leader. I pray that you would soften this leader's heart or remove this leader from power. Like that you pray these broad prayers, I mean these very specific, but, but big prayers 
to God for the purpose of seeing people come to know Jesus. Those are the kind of prayers we can pray as a church when we gather. Those are the kind of things that we can see God move in. That God will move mountains. That God will, we will see people around the world come to know Jesus. Pray bigger prayers than just ourselves. Recognize the fact that we are praying to the God who created all things and he has decided to move through our prayers. And so we don't just have to bring the little things in our lives. We can pray big prayers together. When Elijah, uh, when James is talking about prayer, he brings up the prophet Elijah and the story from the Old Testament. Elijah was a guy, he had the Holy Spirit on him, he was a prophet, and, you know, just so you guys are aware, we have the Holy Spirit as well, as the church, as the people of God, and, but Elijah is a guy who had, who had the Holy Spirit on him, and, uh, and he was living under the, the reign of Ahab, one of the worst kings in Israel's history. So wicked guy who hated God, who loved the prophets of Baal, a different God, uh, who persecuted the, uh, uh, the, uh, the people who followed the Lord, who killed the prophets, like just a terrible king. And Elijah prayed a specific big prayer. What Elijah prayed, he said, God, shut the heavens. Stop sending rain on this wicked Israel so that they would come to know who you are. And for two and a half years, it didn't rain in Israel. For two and a half years, no rain fell, and they went through a drought. You know what happened after two and a half years? Ahab turned around. He said, we recognize that the God of Israel is the God who created all things, that he's the guy that we're supposed to worship. And so Elijah prayed and said, God, send rain again. And a cloud came up out of the sea, and rain was sent to the, to the nation of Israel. Like, that is a bold prayer. A big, grand prayer asking God to move in a specific way so that people would come to know him. And God answered it. And that's, what, that's the point James is making. He's like, Elijah's just a guy. It's not that he had some special power that we don't have. It's not that he's any better than the rest of us. Like, he's just a man, but he prayed something that that was ultimately for the purpose of people coming to know him, and God moved through his prayer. And when we gather, when we lift up prayers to the Lord, God will move through our prayers. We need to pray bigger. We need to pray prayers that are bigger than just ourselves. Start start asking God to move mountains. Start seeing revival here in our community and around the world we gather, we need to pray bigger prayers. Second thing that our prayers need to be, our prayers need to be bigger than ourselves, and our prayers need to be aligned with the heart of God. Our prayers need to be aligned with God's heart. Uh, look with me in verse 3. So the, this, these prayers for lost people coming to know him, these prayers uh, for people being saved, he says in verse 3, this is good. And it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. God is not some genie in a bottle. Right? Where if we just send up a request, he's going to answer whatever our, our hearts desire. That's not the way prayer works. That's not the idea of prayer. God doesn't just, just poof and make, and make it happen if we want it. 
The idea is that when we pray things that are aligned with the heart of God, God's not going to do something that he knows is bad. God's not going to do something that he knows is wrong. God's not going to do something that, that, that he knows is not the best thing for you. And so when we lift up a prayer to God that, God is, that is not aligned with the heart of God, he, he might answer it, but he's going to answer it in a different way. <laughs> right? But when we pray things that are aligned with the heart of God, God has already decided that he's going to move through our prayers. And the question is, what does it mean to pray a prayer that's aligned with God's heart? What kind of things does God like? What kind of things does he want to answer? Well, he showed us in verse 3 that these type of prayers, the prayers for lost people coming to know him, are pleasing to God. That's why Paul says in verse 7, for this, for, for seeing people come to know Jesus, he says, for this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. You see, this passage in 1 Timothy 2 is not exactly about prayer. It, it is about prayer, and that's why we're talking about it, and that's why it's important for us today. But, but Paul is actually using prayer uh, and using this command to pray as a way to convey a theological idea to Timothy and to the Ephesian church. And what he's reminding them is that God loves all people. And God wants all people to come to know him. Because you see, at the time, in the church in Ephesus, people were coming in and saying, uh, if you're a Gentile, you need to become a Jew. If you're a Gentile, you need to follow the law. If you're a Gentile, you need to do things outwardly that make you look like a Jew, that make you, uh, that make you act like a Jew, because at the end of the day, God loves the Jews, not the Gentiles. And so you need to become a Jew if you're, going to, if you're going to have the love of God. And what Paul is reminding the church, and what Paul is reminding Timothy, who's pastoring there in Ephesus, what he's reminding them of is the fact that God loves all people. He doesn't just love Jews. He doesn't just love Gentiles. God loves all people. The heart of God is that people would come to know Jesus. All peoples, everywhere, regardless of, of your race or your nationality, regardless of your background, God wants people to know him. And it's for this reason that he appointed Paul as a preacher and an apostle to be a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. That's why he says there, I'm not lying. I'm, not, I'm telling you the truth. He specifically raised me up to proclaim the good news to the Gentiles, the people you say God doesn't love. Because at the end of the day, God loves all people and wants all people to enter into a relationship with him. How do we know that? Look at verse 4. He desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. How do we know that? Verse 5. There is one God. Meaning there's, there's only one being who is worthy of worship. And when people worship things that are not God, they are not worshiping the one who will give them joy and life and eternal satisfaction. The one who can give them uh, exactly what they were created for. They are worshiping worthless idols. There's only one God. And there's one mediator between God and men. That word mediator uh, is not the best translation of the, the, the Greek word there. Uh, it is a good translation, but for us in English, the word mediator brings to mind this, this idea of two uh, equal parties someone who goes between two equal parties and kind of negotiates a deal and works things out. Uh, but that's not what is being depicted here in this passage. It's not that he's a mediator. It's more so that he's an intercessor. 
Someone who's able to go for, t- between us, who are, who are sinful, broken, rebellious people, and to go uh, before the God who created all things on our behalf, and to plead on our behalf, and to lift up our case before him. The only one that can do that, that can bridge the gap between us and God, sinful, broken, rebellious people, and the holy, almighty, righteous, perfect God, the only one that can bridge that gap is Jesus Christ who became a man himself, it says in verse 5 and verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. The only one who can go between us and God is Jesus because he gave his life on a cross for us to pour out his blood, to pour out his life as a ransom for our sins so that he could save us and go between us and God and give us an opportunity to have a restored relationship with him and eternal life. There is only one God, and there is only one way to God, and it's Jesus. And it's the fact that Jesus poured out his life for us that shows us that God loves all people. John 3.16, one of the most popularly quoted verses, uh, verses in the world, says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The idea is that we didn't earn the love of God. God didn't love us because we were good people. He didn't love us because he saw a spark in us and that he just just wanted to bring out. Like we were broken, dirty people who rebelled against God, who did exactly what he said not to do. And yet God loved us enough to send his son Jesus to die for us and to save us. God loves all people. You want to know how to pray a prayer that is aligned with the heart of God? Pray that people will be saved. Pray that people's hearts will be softened and that they will experience the salvation and the grace of God that comes from the gospel. If you know nothing else about what God likes, if you know nothing else about what God wants, pray that people will be saved because that is aligned with the heart of God. Because God's heart is for all people to come to know him. My mom is here, my, my uh, wife is also here, and they will both tell you that I am the worst person to shop for at Christmas. Because uh, every year, uh, they'll come to me and say, uh, what do you want? You know, make us a list. And I was like, all right, I'll get right on that. And then, um, and then I don't. And then they, you know, a little while after, will say, how about that list? And it's like, eh, it's coming along, you know. Like, I have nothing. I have no idea what I want for Christmas. I never have, I never have any idea. And so... Christmas time rolls around, I don't give them a list, and then they just kind of have to fend for themselves and figure out whether or not they, what they get me is going, is going to be something that I like. Right? It's terrible. It's an awful experience. I'm not planning on changing it, but it's, that's, that's the experience for Christmas. Um, <laughs> a lot of us view prayer that way. Like we know that we need to pray things that are aligned with the heart of God, but we don't, we don't know exactly what the magic words are. What, what, what exactly is the formula that we need to put together and pray? And so we're just throwing up prayers like a Christmas present, hoping that God likes it, right? We're just, we're just throwing them up there like, maybe this one will stick, and, and thinking like, like, maybe this is the one. And so we're, we are throwing up prayers, wondering if this is aligned with the heart of God, having no idea. But the fact of the matter is, like, God's not like me. God made a list. Like, he, he outlined clearly what he wants from us. He outlined clearly what, what gives him joy and what, what he desires. He has outlined that in his word. He wants people to know him. 
He wants people to experience his grace. He wants to be able to pour out his love and his joy and his satisfaction and, and eternal riches on people. And so he wants people to place their faith in Jesus. If you know nothing else about God, pray that people will be saved because that's a prayer that aligns with God's heart. And then branch out from that and pray specific prayers that align with that. Right, as Paul mentioned earlier, a specific prayer is praying on a geopolitical level that, that God would, would raise up and, and cast off leaders who are oppressing Christianity. So we can pray specific prayers that God would, would get rid of tyrants around the world like, like Putin and, and Xi Jinping and, uh, and uh, uh, Kim Jong-un and other leaders around the world who are oppressing Christianity and trying to suppress the idea of the gospel. That God would soften their hearts or remove them from power so that Christianity can flourish in those nations that they can openly proclaim the good news of the gospel. That is a prayer that aligns with the heart of God. We can say other specific prayers for people that we can pray for our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors that they would come to know Jesus and ask specific things that God would give them a job that would move them closer to a church that they love. Or that God would shut the door of a job that would move them further away from a church they, that, that they know that uh, if they moved, they would, know, they would not get connected to a, a body of believers. And we can, we can pray these specific big prayers of God that stem out from knowing that God wants all people to come to know him and enter into a relationship with him. Our prayers, above all else, should be based on that because that's a prayer that's aligned with the heart of God. The third thing is this. When we pray, our prayers need to be offered up and lifted up with the right motivations. Our prayers need to be raised with the right motivations. Look at me in verse 8. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Now, this verse is part of a, a a group of thought in Second Timothy or First Timothy two, uh, a, a passage that uh, confuses a lot of people because what Paul is talking about here in verse eight, he's talking to the men, and then in verse nine and in other verses, uh, the following verses, he's talking to women specifically. And so, so we'll read verse eight and think, okay, well, does God only want the men to pray? Um, but that's not at all uh, what Paul is saying here, in in, in verse eight. We know that because in First Corinthians, Paul talks about women praying in churches. So we know that he doesn't mean that only the men should pray. What Paul is doing here is specifically addressing a problem in the Ephesian church. Because we don't really know exactly what the problem is, but what we can tell is that when the Ephesian men gathered to pray, they would argue and quarrel and fight through their prayers. I don't know exactly what it looks like, but maybe it looks like uh, the Ephesian church gathering and one of the men saying, God, I thank you so much that I'm not so-and-so. Uh, thank you that my life is better than his. Uh, thank you that I'm not doing the things that he's doing. Right? God, thank you that I grew up on the north side of Ephesus and not the south side, like those people. <laughs> you know, I don't know what it is that they were praying, but they're, they're arguing through their prayers. Like They're using their prayers to kind of make a point and a jab at other people. And, and I really hope that that's not the case for us. Right? Hopefully we're not in our small groups like, God, Thank you that I'm not Easton. 
You know, like, like I, don't, I, hope, I hope that that's not what we're doing. Uh, if it is, we need, to, we need to talk. Like, if that happened today, we should have a conversation. But uh, we still have the wrong motivation sometimes when we pray. Instead of going before God, the creator of all things, and asking him to move in a mighty way through our prayers, sometimes we'll lift up a prayer for us, like for selfish reasons. We'll ask a prayer that is, that is selfishly motivated. God, give me that job. It's not because I just want more money. It really is because I want to glorify you through it. You know? But really, at the end of the day, it's just we want a bigger bank account. Like we just want a little more financial security. And so uh, while we say a prayer that it might sound good, might sound righteous, really, it's just for selfish, greedy reasons. This is a, something that pastors fall into all the time, and I, I myself have fallen into and at times, where, where we pray, God, uh, this pious-sounding prayer of, like, God, send revival for our community, grow this church with people who, who come to know you, and, and it sounds good, and it sounds righteous, and it sounds pious, but, but sometimes at the core of it, it's, God, I just want a bigger platform. Right? Pastors regularly fall into this type of prayer where we come before God with the wrong motivations. And we're not praying to see God move in a mighty way. We're not praying to see people saved. We're not praying to, to, to go before God and to see him act. We're praying for us with the wrong motivations. What Paul is saying here in verse 8 is, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger, without quarreling. The idea there of, of lifting holy hands means, means being in a holy posture before God. A life that aligns with the prayers that are being raised. Life that says, God, I, I want to see you move in this mighty way because that is the desire of my heart. It is aligning our hearts with God, not just the words that we say, but the actual prayers that we raise, our very hearts being aligned with the heart of God and saying, God, we want you to move in this way. When we raise a prayer, we need to raise it with the right motivations. Far too often when we pray, we are stuck on ourselves. We are stuck on what's going on in our lives, and we never think to pray bigger prayers. We never think to lift things before God that God cares about, and so we we. we Put God in, in a box and only, only ask him to move in very specific, small ways. But God has decided to move through our prayers, so we need to pray big prayers together. We need to pray in a way that, that asks God to move in these crazy, mighty, awesome ways. I will never be able to explain why God has decided to move through our prayers. In the Bible, sometimes God just acts without anybody asking for us. That, that's the gospel in general, right? Nobody asked for him to send Jesus. But he loved us enough to do it. So sometimes God just acts. But most of the time, what we see in Scripture is that God acts through the prayers of his people. And so if we're not seeing revival, if we're not seeing people come to know Jesus, it's because we're not asking. If we're not seeing the things that we want to see, that we're, if we're not seeing God move in a mighty way in our community, it's because we're not going before him in prayer. Elijah stopped the rain for two and a half years because of his prayer. When we lift up a prayer to God that's a big prayer that is aligned with his heart, he will move in a mighty way 
through our church. When we gather to pray, we are going to pray big prayers together. Some of you here this morning are here because people have prayed for you. You're in this room and you're hearing the gospel that you can have salvation in Jesus because people have been praying for you to come to know him. People have been praying for you to experience salvation. If that's you and you know that you need to place your faith in Jesus this morning, what we're going to do in just a second, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing. And as we sing, if that's you, I want to give you an opportunity to respond in faith to Jesus. If that's, is there something on the speaker that's different? I don't know, sorry, the speaker's going on. But if that's you, if you want to place your faith in Jesus, we're going to sing. And while we sing, I'm going to be standing right here. And what I want you to do is to take a step of faith. I want, you to, I want you to come to me and tell me of the decision that you want to make. And that will be an answer of prayer to people. Because people have been praying for you to come to know Jesus. Others of you need to make other decisions. You, you want to come down, you want to be baptized, you want to become a member of Freedom Fellowship. Uh, and those would be answers to prayer. So if that's you, and you have a decision that you want to make this morning, I would, just, I would love to talk with you about what that means. I'll be right here ready and and waiting for you to tell me about the decision that you want to make. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you. We are so thankful for the message of salvation, that there is eternal life in Jesus, that, that you are the one true God, and that instead of leaving us on our own and abandoning us, When we rebelled against you, you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for us. And now he goes between us and you, bridging the gap and bringing eternal life. Father, I pray for those here who have not experienced eternal life.